Jesus. Let's get excited. He's risen. Christ the Lord is risen Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Happy Easter. He is risen. He is risen. Well done. I'm so proud of you. Isn't it great to be in church this morning? The highlight of our Easter will not be peeps and Cadbury eggs. 
It's going to be praising the Lord who has given us that new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We've sang the words hallelujah, which means we boast in the Lord. We brag in God. And today we're going to give glory and praise and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ because we have hope for eternal life in him. So today we're going to sing about what we believe. We're going to sing about where our hope is found And we're going to bless the name of our Lord Jesus Christ for all he's given us. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we look forward to every aspect of this service today. Our boast is in you, for you sent your son to die on a cross, that death may be defeated and to rise again so that we might be resurrected as well. We believe these things with all our heart and give you praise and honor that is due your name in this place today. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. I believe that the blood of Jesus still washes my snow. And I believe that the blood of Jesus still washes white as snow. I believe that the power of the gospel still makes the broken whole. I believe that the curse of sin was broken when they rolled away that stone. I believe, I believe. I believe, yes. And as I bow before you, Lord, I will rise in confidence. I will see your goodness, Lord, in the land I'm living in. And no matter where I go, and no matter where I've been, I will see your goodness, Lord, in the land I'm living in. I believe that the walls will start falling when we fall down on our knees. I believe that the lake will go on and the blind are going to see. I believe that the gates of hell tremble when the church begins to sing. I believe, I believe, I believe. As I
story to tell. We have to sing it out. We have to declare the works of the Lord, that he is alive and he is well today. We don't just sing it to each other this morning, but we sing it to the nations. We sing it to the people in our workplace. We retell the story and show them why we have a God who is worthy to be praised. And you know this morning the reason is because he's alive and he's given you hope of life eternal. Without the resurrection, you and I stay dead. But with the resurrection, you and I have life. So this morning, let's tell the story and let's declare that he is alive. laid in darkness a battle in the grave the war on death was waged the power of hell forever broken the ground began to shake the stone was rolled away his perfect love could not be
Father God, we sing hallelujah because the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world has overcome the grave. And so we declare unto you and unto the world around us the same as that of which Paul declared to his young protege, Timothy. Now to the King Jesus, who is eternal, immortal, invisible, 
He is the only God. Be honor and glory to him forever and ever. We say these things and pray these things unto you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. Uh, once again, welcome to church. My name is Otto Ramos. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and it's my great privilege to offer some welcome comments this morning. If this is one of your first times joining us, we want to extend a very special welcome to you. And if you'd like to learn more about who we are, we would love for you to do that. Also, welcome to those of you joining us online. Happy Easter to you as well. If you'd like to learn more about who we are, if you're here in person, you can take one of those communication cards that can be found on the seat back in front of you. And as you have some free time this morning, fill that out and come see me in the Welcome Center afterwards. And we have a free gift for you for joining us this morning. For those of you joining us online, you can go to our website at vlchurch.com and click on the banner that says, Are You New Here? Fill out the form, and I will personally connect with you sometime this week. But indeed, thank you for joining us on this Easter Sunday. Uh, I do have a few things to share with you this morning before we proceed in our service today, uh, not the least of which includes the fact that we're going to have a baptism service in a few weeks on Sunday, April 30th. Uh, we'll have an opportunity for you to take a really big step in your faith uh, if that is the next step for you. If God has spoken to you, if God is nudging you to take that next step, then baptism likely is your next step. If you've never been baptized, you know, in the Bible, there's this story in Acts chapter 2 where people heard the gospel for the very first time, and it says that they were cut to the heart with the message. Have you ever been cut to the heart where it just really touched you on your heart? Well, these people were touched on their hearts, and they said, what do we do with what we heard? And the apostle Peter said, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so if that is you and God is nudging you to get baptized, we invite you uh, to get signed up to get baptized. On Sunday, April 30th, we're going to have baptisms during our service. You can sign up online by, by uh, clicking on the banner that you see there on the screen that says get baptized, and we will communicate with you and take it from there. But we're looking forward to that Sunday. Also, I want to make mention of the fact that if uh, you need to take a next step and get connected here at Victory Life Church and to continue growing in your faith, we invite you to our next installment of Growth Track. Uh, Growth Track is a class for you to get to know more about who we are as a church and how you can grow here uh, in your faith, get involved in a small group, in a class. Uh, you can learn how to use your talents here at Victory Life Church. Our next Growth Track class is going to start in about a month. It happens on Sunday, uh, May 7th. It'll start that day at 9.30 a.m. It's a four-week installment, and you can sign up on our website at vlchurch.com. We'd love to have you there. Uh, one more thing I want to mention is the fact that we're going to have uh, a lot of life groups. Life groups are smaller groups. You know, here today we have a corporate larger group where we're worshiping together and we're learning God's Word together. We're praying, we're praying together together. But we have a lot of smaller groups where you can go deeper into God's Word and deeper into relationship with one another. And we have a lot of those that are going to be ongoing over the next weeks and months to come. And you can find out more about those on our website by clicking on the banner that you see there once again on the screen. Uh, we have some that are going to be ongoing on Sunday mornings. One that happens actually during the first hour at 9.30 a.m. Right now they're meeting and they're talking about the book of Hebrews. 
That class is also going to be ongoing in a couple of weeks. They're going to study the book of Numbers. Uh, we also will have a class for men's group on our men on Wednesday nights. There's another class that's going to be starting for women on Wednesday nights in early May. And I'll be teaching a class on uh, Wednesdays as well in early May. On it's, it's entitled How Not to Study the Bible. You know, there's a lot of uh, misinterpretations of the Bible in our world today, and there are some proper ways to study the Bible, and so we've entitled our class, How Not to Study the Bible, so that you can have a proper and true understanding of God's intent when you read His Word, and so we'd love to have you in that class uh, as well. Well, that's all I have in the way of announcements this morning. If you have come to worship the Lord Jesus with your tithes and offerings, you probably know what to do and how to do it. You can give online at vlchurch.com backslash give, or you can give via text, or you can give as you exit the sanctuary uh, this morning to our ushers as you walk out. But that's all I have in the way of announcements this morning. And so I did want to uh, mention that I know we have some young disciples in here, kindergarten through sixth graders, so you can go to your church uh, uh, down the hall there, and if this is one of your first times joining us, uh, you can also go, and parents, you can accompany these young ones and find out where they're going so you know where to pick them up, and then you can rejoin us for our service here as Pastor Matt comes to retell the story of the resurrection in just a moment. Can I ask you to bow your heads uh, this morning as Pastor Matt comes to the stage to share God's Word? Let's pray. Father God, I pray that the eyes of our hearts will be able to see the fact that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important solution to our life's questions. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to invite you to turn to the story of the resurrection, one of four that's in your Bibles, in the book of John. We're going to look at John chapter 20 this morning, but if you do have a Bible and you're turning, we're going to go back uh, to John chapter 11 for a bit of splaining. And so, uh, so put your uh, finger or your bookmark in John chapter 11, and then you can join me in John chapter 20. We celebrate today the greatest story ever told. The, the one that is the most important story that has ever been told to humans. In fact, we have this, this book or this compendium of books known as the Bible, and all of the rising action get us to this point. Everything that has taken place before in the Scriptures have ascended and ascended and ascended and ascended to that hill at Golgotha where Jesus died, but ultimately to that empty tomb. Where Jesus was raised again. That curse that begins in Genesis chapter 3, dust you are and to dust you shall return, is overcome and broken and destroyed at the empty tomb. Isn't that great? Greatest story ever told. I was looking this week and one particular uh, website said that there are 6 billion copies of the Bible that have been sold. Six billion. Now, I have no way of verifying that. I barely got out of college math. But I know that, 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 that it ranges anywhere from two billion to six billion copies sold, and then that does not account for those that were printed only to be given away. Only to be given away, because this is the greatest story ever told. It's the most important story. It's the one that gets to the very depths of the human need and depths of the human heart. You know, then I, I, I had to, because I was curious, I had to look up the second best-selling series of books in history. 
Does anybody have any guesses what the second best-selling series of books in history is? I'll give you a hint. There's this bespectacled boy with a lightning scar, and that, that has sold 600 million copies. So just 10% of what the Bible has sold, but, but 600 million copies. I, I found it interesting, just, just because this story is often imitated but never duplicated, this story of Scripture, that when the author of that second best-selling series of all time needed a climax to her story, she, she placed the protagonist in a place where he would give up his life willingly in order to defeat evil and then ultimately was raised to life against all odds in order to defeat evil. Where have we heard that before? And of course she wasn't the first who did this. Another one of the best-selling book series of history is the Chronicles of Narnia. And of course there's this story there where the protagonist places himself in harm's way and dies on behalf of his people only to rise again to defeat evil. Thanks, Aslan. And of course, that's not the only one. It's down through history. When literature needs a clincher, when literature needs a moment that just makes the, the, the human jaw drop and go, ah, yeah, that's it. This is where literary folks go. Tolkien went there. We go from the gray wizard to the white wizard, right? Once again, a life given on behalf of those who are in need, seemingly gone forever, only to be taken up again. This is the story of stories. This is the tale of tales. But I want to tell you, this is the source material for all of them. For the truth is found here. The ultimate need of the human heart is met right here as we see what Jesus did on behalf of humanity. There's a reason there is no story in history that stirs the human heart more than this story. Because as the writer of Hebrews tells us, God has placed eternity in our hearts. God has placed the need that is described in this story this morning in our hearts. We can't get away from it. We can't escape from it. We want what Jesus has to offer as long as we know what it is that Jesus has to offer. I want to speak to this human need in this greatest story today and make sure that we can respond to that need effectively because it is what we need more than anything else. I mentioned that story of that bespectacled boy with the lightning scar. There's a bit of foreshadowing in that story where he visits the grave of his parents and on the grave of his parents it says this, the last enemy to be defeated is death. That happens to be 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 26. That is the story of what Jesus did on the first Easter Sunday. He defeated the last and greatest enemy of humankind. Let's see why. If you'll engage me in this storytelling this morning, I like to call this sermon a tale of three empty tombs. We're in John chapter 20, verse 1 and following. Now, on the first day of the week, this is the first Easter Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. 
And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there, and the face cloth, which had been folded up on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to their home. This is the first empty tomb that we're going to look at today, a tomb that was expected to be full on that first Easter Sunday morning. Mary Magdalene, and we know from the other Gospels, other ladies who were disciples of Jesus had gone to finish the burial rites, hoping that someone might move the stone away so that they could do so and prepare the body of Jesus appropriately as it had been rushed into the tomb just before uh, Sabbath on, on the Friday before They're expecting a full tomb. They find an empty tomb. We don't know what Peter thought about this. It doesn't say. We don't know what Peter thought. We're going to find out at the end of our time together today, because we're going to go back to chapter 11 and then up back up to chapter 20. We're going to find out what Mary thought in just a few moments. But we find out what the writer thought. That disciple, the humble one who outran Peter, that disciple... That one who stooped and looked in first, that disciple wrote this book. We know that because he tells us a chapter later. It was me. It was me. He's using a literary device. He's putting it in the third person. He calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. Once again, tremendously humble guy. He outran Peter and he's the disciple who Jesus loved. Yeah. Next week when Pastor Otto prays, he's going to go, and the pastor that you love will now be coming. (laughs) You know, who who would say such a thing, right? Anyhow, this this is a literary device, right? So John says, I reached the tomb first, I looked in, I saw that this was not a grave robbery, and that's one of the important aspects of the story, that the face cloth is gently folded up and just placed to the side. So this is a grave robbery. And he says, I looked in and I saw and I believed. I believed that the one who had fed the 5,000 walked on the water, raised that little girl to life, raised Lazarus to life. I believed that he'd raised himself to life. I mean, that's a, that's a big ask. There, you know, the Bible's full of, I shouldn't say full of, not full of. The Bible has a number of stories in which a recently dead person has a holy person, a holy man, if you will, a man of God come upon it and pray over that recently deceased person, and that person revives. Like, the Bible has a few stories like that. The Bible has no stories like this. There's no, there's no man of God to pray and intervene on behalf of the, of the crucified Jesus. There's nobody there praying that he might revive. If if he's done this miracle, this miracle is absolutely unique. But John believes it's possible. But John finally gives us an ounce of humility. He says, but we did not, now he puts it in the the plural, right? We did not. We didn't realize the scripture said this must happen. The scripture said this must happen, needed to, had to. I believe that Jesus had done an astounding miracle. I just didn't know what it meant is what John says in humility. Now, what does that must mean? Why must Jesus raise from it? Why did he have to? Why did he have to? I love when my kids tell me I have to do something. That, that's a challenge that, yes, I will not be doing what you've just told me, because I don't have to. But John says Jesus had to. He had no choice in the matter. He must rise from the dead. 
Now, I've explained to you in years past that there is a must from Scripture. We didn't understand the Scriptures that he must rise from the dead. Psalm 16, which is a famous song about the Messiah, the Jewish Savior, says that the Messiah needs to rise from the dead. Psalm 22 says the same. Isaiah 53 certainly says the same. Somehow after the suffering servant dies, he sees the light of life and he sees his progeny, if you will. So, so we know that the Messiah must rise again according to the scriptures, right? But, but I don't think that's the must that John's referring to. He, he's referring to the scriptures saying he must, but why? Why do the scriptures need a savior who rises from the dead? We've also talked in years past about why Jesus rose from the dead in a theological sense. And simply put, if the wages of sin is death, and you're in a human body that gets destroyed, but you have not sinned, you don't stay dead. See, this is, this is, this is a must. This is why Jesus couldn't stay dead. If the wages of sin is death, if death enters the world through sin, if the reason we die is because of sin, and Jesus died sinless, therefore he could not stay dead. That's a must, but I don't think it's the must See, there is a must from Scripture in terms of the fact that, that Scripture says it has to happen. But why? And there is a must from theology that, that Jesus couldn't stay dead if he was sinless. And, and that's a must, but the must has something to do with you and I. It has something to do with humanity itself. Now, if I asked the average Christian, what did Jesus have to do? What must Jesus do? The average Christian would look at me and say, Jesus had to die on the cross, Right? That's what you say. What did Jesus have to do on earth? He had to die on the cross because it was on the cross that Jesus took on the sin and shame of humanity, a penalty for which we could not pay, and having had all of the, the power and all of the authority to take our sin upon himself, he died on the cross to pay the penalty for each and every one of us. That's what the average Christian would say. But John says the empty tomb is a must. Jesus had to rise again. He believed Jesus had done the impossible, but he didn't know why. Even though he had witnessed something just two weeks earlier in which Jesus had explained the why. And that's where I want to take you now. What I call the soon-to-be-empty tomb of John chapter 11. There was a little hamlet town. It was called Bethany. It was about two miles from Jerusalem, and there lived Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Three of the great friends of Jesus, Lazarus was deathly ill, and Mary and Martha had sent to Jesus saying, Jesus, come quickly, our brother is about to die, and Jesus doesn't hurry to the scene. He doesn't make his way quickly to Bethany, he takes his time continuing to finish the work that God had given him before entering Bethany, and because Jesus didn't rush to the scene of Lazarus' deathly illness, Lazarus dies. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. Flipping your Bibles, if you have them, to John chapter 11. In this soon-to-be-empty tomb, we're going to see the why and the must of the resurrection. We're going to be in verse 17, and then we're going to read a few verses and then skip down to 32. I want us to see the devastation that Jesus experiences as he enters Bethany, verse 17 of chapter 11. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus, Lazarus, say that five times fast, had already been dead in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come out to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, 
Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Skip down to verse 32 with me to continue the scene of devastation. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. This is the scene Jesus enters in Bethany just days before his own crucifixion and resurrection. One of his dearest friends on earth, Lazarus, two of his dearest friends on earth, Lazarus' sisters Mary and Martha, are devastated by grief because their brother had died, but, but devastated for another reason. Their brother had died, and God didn't do anything about it. God didn't stop it. Now, we don't have any record of Mary and Martha being married at this point. And at that time in history, you got married off relatively young, theoretically. And therefore, this is most likely an untimely death for Lazarus. Not, not a, oh, they lived a good long life type of death. A troubling death. An untimely death. A, a, an all too soon death. Jesus comes to console them, yet he is met with the recrimination that all of us at one point have foisted upon God. Why? Why, God? Why didn't you heal? Why didn't you save? Why didn't you do something about this? Somehow in our minds, we consider this, this concept that, that God isn't the author of life. He's the author of death. That God isn't the author of goodness, he's the author of pain. It starts at a young age. You're eight years old, you stub your toe, and you're like, why? As if God made it happen. But then at the deepest, darkest moments of our life, when we prayed and said, God, save, God, heal, why didn't you do this? Jesus is experiencing his godhood in the flesh. With people he loved, they're asking him, why didn't you do anything about death? That's what takes place in Bethany. That's what takes place that day. Now, Jesus does not stand aloof, and that's why I wanted to skip down to verse 32. Now, now I want you to see how devastated these ladies are. We, we, we hear Martha, who, who has the strength to leave the house. It says originally Mary didn't have the strength to even get up and leave the house. But upon, at some point, distraught in the house, she goes, you know what, I better go see Jesus. And when she gets to Jesus, did you see what it said in verse 32? She fell at his feet, weeping. That's grief. How many of you have like held onto somebody's feet weeping recently? She's devastated. Jesus not only sees her devastation, but, but folks have come out from Jerusalem Four days later, I mean, we're not talking a day or two after, and they're trying to console Mary and Martha. Lazarus must have been a good dude. They're, they're sad for them, and, and Jesus sees them. He's troubled. He's grieved, 
And this is the context for the Bible study verse of all Bible study verses. When they ask you in Sunday school as a young Christian, what's your favorite verse when you don't have anything in your back pocket? You say, Jesus wept. It's only two words. But in context, there's nothing funny about this. Jesus encountering death and grief and sadness weeps. He's not stoic. He doesn't look at you and I and go, no big deal. He looks at you and I and feels our pain. That's the story in Bethany before the story in Bethany. Now, how many of you know how this story in Bethany ends? You should if you were here last week, right? You know how this story ends. Jesus walks to the tomb still greatly troubled. It says he was greatly troubled. He was, he was horrified by the scene. He hates death. And, of course, four days later, after being warned by the sisters of Lazarus, surely he stinketh, Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus is raised from the dead in a more powerful way than we've seen in Scripture to this point. Because he was in the grave four days. He wasn't in the grave four minutes or four hours. Jesus does a huge miracle. Now we're getting closer to the must. Remember I said the must isn't necessarily just because Scripture says it. There's a reason Scripture says it. And the must isn't just because of the theology of Jesus raising from the dead. The must has something to do with us. And half of the must is right here in Bethany. This is one of the only places, if not the only place in Scripture, where we see Jesus in the weeds of death with us. He's in the horror and grief and pain of death with people going, this is awful. This stinks. This is terrible. Jesus wept. Because it's so unnatural. It's not right. It ought not be this way. Why didn't you do something about death, Jesus? This is where the must comes in. Because Jesus must do something about that scene. The scene in which all humanity inevitably finds itself saying, why, God, why? He's got to do something about that. Let's head back to verse 21 and look at what we skipped. Chapter 11. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again on the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet he will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And Martha said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ or Messiah or Savior, the Son of God who is coming into the world. See, we miss this part. We miss this moment at which Jesus offers his words of comfort. Words of comfort are so hard, aren't they? They stink, don't they? Uh, you stand in line and you're, 
You're, you're waiting to talk to somebody who's devastated and upset, and you're trying to come up with something to say. Well, let me tell you from a pastor's perspective, keep it short and keep it simple. The more you talk in these instances, the more you will do damage to you and others. I remember just recently, I was on the phone with a community member in Stowe, someone that most of you would know, and he'd recently lost his father, and I, I wanted to say the most beautiful and consoling words from the right Reverend Skifstad that could ever be said. So I got on the phone, and I said this line to him and, and, and tried to encourage him, and the minute after I said it, I thought, dumb, so dumb. just wanted to crawl under my desk and get off the phone immediately. So just remember, it can happen to the worst of us and the best of us. When, when, when we want to say consoling words, just say, my condolences, or I'm so sorry for your loss. Don't try to explain it. Don't try to beautify it. But Jesus uses words of consolation that I've never heard at a funeral. Did you see the words of consolation he gives Martha? Martha, your brother will rise again. Any of you ever use that? No, probably not. I, I would try to use it, but somebody would just go, that is not what I was looking for today. Martha, your brother will rise again. And we don't know how Martha said the next line. We don't know if it was said with like, I know, I know. Or if it was said with, yes, I know, thank you. Or, 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 or whether it was said with resignation, yeah, I know. But she says, yes, I know, Lord. He will rise in the resurrection of the last day. Not your brother's in a better place. Not you'll see your brother again in heaven. Not we'll all be reunited, reunited one day on a cloud with wings. Your brother will rise again. She says, yes, I believe on the resurrection of the last day, I'll see that. I'll see that. See, this is, this is a part of the Christian belief system, of the Christian doctrine, that is so underemphasized as to almost be maddening. That God's eternal plan for you and I is not to be a spirit on a cloud or an angel with wings or to reside as some disembodied phantom in heaven. But ultimately, you and I, who from our first parents was cursed with the curse from the dust you were taken to dust you shall return, now are given the opportunity to be taken back from the dust to be resurrected in a body and given a new earth on which to live in which we experience eternity in the light of God and in the presence of God without sin, death, and decay in a human body. I want fingers in heaven. I'd like to walk. I don't want to float. I want to look other humans in the eye in eternity, and that is what the Bible promises, and that is how Jesus tries to encourage her, that you, your brother, will be resurrected, that one day you'll be able to put your arms around him again, not just like pass through him as spirits. But, but, but that, God, in his goodness, in his wisdom, is not going to leave any part of humanity unredeemed. He is going to redeem spirit, soul, body, the whole thing. And we're no longer going to decay. We're no longer going to die. We're going to get to experience a new earth that is not marred by sin and death. We're going to get to experience a new earth where the water is sweeter. The greens and the blues and the violets are more vibrant than ever before. Sorry to those of you who are colorblind. And, and we're going to make sure. 
We're going to make sure that we can rule and reign and create with God for eternity. That's resurrection. That's the promise. This is the best promise in human history. This is the best story in human history. In some religions, the idea is that one day we can eventually reach nothingness. I don't want to be nothing. I want to be me. Just the me that's not marred by sin and death. In some religions, if you live really good in this life, and you're a, you're, 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 you're a refuse collection engineer in this life, in your next life you might get to work at an office. But the Bible promises that Adam and Eve, who were marred by sin, and whose, whose death awaited, are now going to be remade, if you will, in you and I, in resurrection and life in a Garden of Eden that is not barred to us. That's resurrection. That's what Jesus says. He's going to rise again. And Martha says, yes, yes, I know that. I know that. I know that. Because it had been taught. It's not taught enough, but it had been taught back then. Jesus taught it. The Pharisees taught it, believe it or not. That's where a place where Jesus and the Pharisees agreed. Resurrection is ultimately what God has in store for us. But Jesus doesn't stop there. She doesn't say, yes, Jesus, I know. Jesus says, Martha, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Now, when Jesus says, I am, he says, ego, amy, in the Greek. Now, I don't know what he said in Aramaic, and we're getting into biblical languages now, and forgive me. But what this means is Jesus looked at Martha and said, I am that I am. Now, okay, Bible scholars, okay, you Old Testament junkies, who is I am that I am? That's God. That's the God at the burning bush. Who watched the Ten Commandments last week? Did you watch it? Charlton Heston, all of a sudden, he goes from brown hair to gray in an instant. He's seen God, right? God says, I am that I am. I'm existence himself. I'm the one true God. Jesus says to Martha, I am that I am the resurrection. All hope of resurrection, all hope of the greatest possible outcome for humanity rests in me. Not, not reincarnation, one cast higher, not nothingness, not to be a spirit on a cloud. All hope of the best possible outcome for humanity. Resurrection is me. But he goes one step further. He says, and the life. That resurrection will not be unto eternal death or torment or hell, but that resurrection will be unto life. See, the question that confronted Jesus in Bethany was, God, why didn't you do something about it? Jesus says, I am God, and I am doing something about it. I am, right now. I'm going to march into Jerusalem and do something about it that will resound down through history so that when you are raised, you will be raised unto life. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2 says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and contempt. See, he's going to raise us all, either to new life or to separation from God for eternity. But before he can do that, someone needs to purchase the resurrection. Somebody needs to prove 
that the resurrection is possible. Somebody needs to initiate resurrection on behalf of humanity, and somebody needs to make that resurrection unto life, and that's what Jesus does. From the earliest humans, the desire has been there. Not to be less human, but to be in the full image of God in which he created us. Many scholars believe that Job was written before the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that it was before the patriarchs. Job, then, is the earliest speaker of resurrection in the Bible in Job 19.25, where he says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh... I will see God. I will see him for myself. My eyes shall behold and not another. My heart faints within me. He says, after I'm dead, I'm going to see God in my flesh with my own eyes. That's the resurrection. Flip back to John chapter 20, verse 11. Mary stood there, weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look back into that tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around, and she saw Jesus standing. But she didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing Jesus was the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him. I'll take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, literally in the Greek, Stop clinging to me, Mary, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. He is the resurrection. He is the life. For he proved that resurrection is possible and release from death for a dead human body can be achieved. He was the first of us to rise from the dead in a resurrection body. That's why he can't stick around. Oh, there's theology here, folks, chock full. I don't have the time this morning. But Jesus can't stick around. I've not yet ascended to my Father. I am no longer beholden nor do I belong in this world that is still marred by sin and death. I need to ascend to my Father until my return. I don't belong here anymore. Because resurrected people who have been resurrected unto life, they belong in the presence of God. So I return to my Father. And he doesn't return in a way that's unchanged. I think one of our songs says, and I've been changed this morning. What's changed Look down at verse 27 once more. I've not yet ascended to the Father because that's where resurrected people belong, in the presence of God. But go to my brothers. Try to find Jesus calling the disciples brothers before this point. Go look in your Bibles. And then says, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. I'm the first one among the brothers and sisters to rise again and make my way into the presence 
of God our Father. C.S. Lewis wrote, the New Testament writers speak as if Christ's achievement in rising from the dead was the first event of its kind in the whole of the history of the universe. He's the first fruits, the pioneer of life. He's forced open a door that's been locked since the death of the first man. He has met, fought, and defeated the king of death. Everything is different because he has done so. One empty tomb remains. And that's yours. Jesus has purchased the resurrection for humanity. Jesus has made it possible for us to experience the best possible outcome in eternity. We've learned the must. The must is our biggest enemy needed to be defeated. Eternal death needed to be overcome. And Jesus did just that. And one day, when he returns, your tomb will lay empty no matter how long it has been occupied. Jesus will say to you as he did to Lazarus, John, come out. Laura, come out. Becky, come out. Bill, come out. Sarah, come out. Mike, come out. On the last day of this age and on the first day of eternity, we will rise. But the same question that Jesus asked Martha in Bethany that day is the question that we must ask ourselves today. Do you believe this? Jesus said to Martha, if you believe it, you'll live. See, the, the thing that broke in the garden was trust in God. Trust that God has good things in store for us. Trust that God is not the author of the stubbed toe or the untimely death, but God is the author of life and love and peace and joy. Belief that he is ultimately the author of life. Do you believe this, Martha? He asked this of you, and he asked this of me. Put your trust in me again. I'm not the author of death. I am the author of life. Do you believe this, Martha? Think about it. In light of the most famous verses in all of Christianity, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God is not the author of death. He's the author of life. John 10.10, 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. I believe that Jesus is not the author of death, but he's the author of life. And I trust that God has good things in store for me because of his goodness. I'm not going to say, why, God? I'm going to say, thank you, God. I'm not going to be hopeless. I'm going to be full of hope. But thanks be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Every time somebody goes down in the waters in baptism and back up, they're saying, I'm dying to the old dead life and I'm coming up being raised anew. I believe in the one whom God has sent. So I ask you today, do you believe this? Praise God he doesn't need your perfection. He needs your belief.
That's what he wants. That's the reverse of the curse. When we believe in the one whom God has sent. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? The same question that was asked of Martha, I want to ask of you today. Do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus was sent to this earth to give you new life? Do you believe that God can be the author of eternal life for you? Adam and Eve believed God was holding out on him and her. But we who are redeemed in Christ believe that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for us who love him. He's got great things in store for you. And today, some of you need to claim those great things. You need to put your faith in him. You need to believe. If that's you today and you say, Pastor Matt, this story that's been told is the one that my heart needed to hear. I need hope in this life that God is with me and I need hope for eternity that God has good things in store for me. I want the best possible outcome, and I believe today that the best possible outcome comes with Jesus. Is there anybody here who wants to put their faith in him today? Anybody here who wants to say, yes, I believe? If that's you today, I encourage you to do something physical to match what's going on in your spirit. Why don't you raise a hand to God and say, God, I believe. Raise a hand right now. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God, I believe. God, I believe. Anybody else this morning? Yes, I believe. I believe that you have good things in store for me, God. Yes, I believe. Anybody else? Raise that hand to God. Just say, I believe. I'm putting my faith in you today. You can put it up. You can put it back down. That's not for me, folks. That's for you just to say, yes, Jesus, I believe. You're not the author of death. You're the author of life. Praise the Lord. Many of you, many of you are putting your faith in him today. We believe that because he has been raised, we will be raised also. That death has no hold on us. That victory will be ours. When we see God face to face, it will be with a smile and with joy because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would all you who are here who know the Lord as your Savior, as well as those who have raised your hand today and said, I'm going to put my faith in you today, Jesus, would you pray with me in this place and just repeat after me? Heavenly Father, I believe. I believe that you are the author of life. 
not of death. I put my faith today in a God who loves me in a God who would die for me and a God who would forgive me and make me new. God, I give you my life today. You can be Lord. I'll serve you. And I'll trust that Jesus has made a way for me to be with you for eternity. Lord Jesus, take residence in my heart. And I'll follow you. I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. He's alive. He's alive. He's alive and I'm forgiven. Heaven's gates are open wide. He's alive. He's alive. He's alive and I'm forgiven. Heaven's gates are open wide. He's alive. He's alive. He's alive and I'm forgiven. Heaven's gates are open He's alive, he's alive, he's alive and I'm forgiven, heaven's gates are open wide, he's alive. If you know it to be true, stand and sing it. He's alive, he's alive and I'm forgiven, heaven's gates are open wide, he's alive, he's alive. And I'm forgiven, heaven's gates are open wide. He's alive, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise today. Folks, if you put your faith in Jesus today, do not walk out of this place without telling somebody. And I'm just going to invite you, Pastor Otto's over there waving a little red book in his hand. If this is the first time you put your faith in Jesus today, don't walk out of here without a gift from us. We're not going to assail you. We're not going to hold you for 20 minutes. I know you got a ham to tend to, okay? But just stop at the Welcome Center. Go out those doors and say, Pastor Otto, I prayed with Pastor Matt. He's going to go here, read this this week. It's going to talk more about what you decided in this place today. And if you made that decision today to serve the Lord Jesus, you made the best decision of your life. Come back next week and find out more about it. With that said, he is risen. God bless you.